This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Judith Ann Desjardins' primary objective in life is to learn as much wisdom as she can about the body, mind, emotion, spirit connection, and share it with the world for healing and transformation. Her personal objective is to grow in those four areas of her own life and in her relationships and serve God and her clients. Valeria Tellis interviews Judith Ann Desjardins, the author of Our Journey with Prostate Cancer, Empowering Strategies for Patients and Families. With listings in Who's Who in the World, Who's Who in America, Who's Who in Medicine and Healthcare, and Who's Who in American Women, Judith has maintained a 43-year holistic psychotherapy practice. As an educator, she has taught nationally and in Canada. In 2009, Judith established her own publishing company, Spirit House Publishing, which specializes in books about the body, mind, emotion, spirit connection, healing and transformation, and personal empowerment. Her first book, Creating a Healthy Life and Marriage, A Holistic Approach, Body, Mind, Emotions, and Spirit, is the winner of 16 book awards in the United States and Canada. A Polish translation, Zranioni Sersa, was released in 2013. Her second book, Our Journey with Prostate Cancer, Empowering Strategies for Patients and Families, was released in September 2014 and is the winner of 12 National Book Awards. She is a licensed clinical social worker, a board-certified diplomat in clinical social work, and a master social work addictions counselor. She received her Bachelor of Arts with Honors from the University of Wyoming and her Master of Social Work degree from Arizona State University. She has specialty training in Jinshindu acupressure, Jungian and Gestalt therapy, and has worked in various clinical settings, oncology social work, inpatient psychiatry, homeless shelter clinical supervision, outpatient substance abuse clinical supervision. She has maintained a 25-year Hatha yoga practice. Meet Judith at judithanddesjardins.com. Here's the interview with Judith Ann Desjardins. In your own words, who is Judith Ann Desjardins? (laughs) Excellent. On the surface, I appear very simple. I describe myself as being a child of God. And by that, I mean, I have always belonged to God, even though I didn't know him. He's been like a constant through line in my life. And the simple part of me is that I love life. 
I love my family. I am an animal whisperer, a plant whisperer. Mm-hmm. I love learning. I love teaching. I love writing. So if I have all of those things, and I also love working with clients in healing and transformation, if I have all those things going on in my life and my health, I'm a very happy person. Below the surface, I'm quite complex, and there's a lot of opposite characteristics I have, like I'm an introvert and an extrovert. I'm analytical, left brain, but I'm also right brain, loving, healing, creative. I am a very, physically, I'm a very strong person. Uh, Emotionally and mentally, I'm a very strong person, but I'm also fragile. And there are times when my body needs lots of rest and I need quiet. So there are many different levels to me, and it's, it's a lot for me to manage, and it makes me quite unusual to the normal population in some ways, and that has been a blessing and kind of a challenge throughout my life. Talk to me about, for a moment, Judith, about your idea of what, where, and who is God? Well, I always, uh, even as a child, if I was in trouble and I prayed, I would get an immediate message back from God. I didn't know who God was exactly. I didn't have any uh, conceptual idea, but I felt this presence. I grew up in a pretty non-religious family, but I was always a child who sought out going to churches, various type of churches, singing in the choir, loving um, the words in hymns. And uh, it wasn't until 1976 when I had probably the biggest trial in my life and was at a point of thinking that I needed to kill myself because themes things were so hopeless. The minute I said that, I said, that's crazy. And I need God. I knew God was there, but I never really asked God for anything up to that point. Mm. And that was a point of personal surrender where I said, God, I need you. And from that point on, I began a personal relationship with the Holy Trinity as I know them, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And since 1976, my life has been transformed year by year by year through journaling, through prayer, for randomly opening the Bible and asking for a scripture and finding something on those two pages that jumped out at me like bold print that directly corresponded to what I had written in my journal. So that's how I've learned any spiritual knowledge has been in the privacy of my own home, asking God to give me a scripture, to give me direction, give me healing at the moment. And it's been delivered every year. And I have been transformed into a whole healthy, 
um, person who's come into the power of all the original gifts God gave me. So God, my relationship with God, the Trinity, is my most important relationship in my life. I also have a lot of the natural characteristics or fruits of the Spirit, if you want to call it, Mm -hmm. of simplicity and love and curiosity and kindness and, and all of those things which weren't necessarily promoted in my family. So I was like this spiritual being that got dropped into a family of three other members who was different than the others. And the others never understood. And that caused me a great deal of pain and confusion. So in your book, you say your spirit is, is your most important personal weapon in the battle with cancer. Talk to me for a moment about that, Judith, this, yeah, spirituality as the medicine when it comes to an illness such as cancer. Well, I'm first going to answer it from the point of view of me being a holistic psychotherapist. I believe that every person has four parts to their being, body, mind, emotion, and spirit. The most evolved and most powerful part of us is our spirit. And it has a tremendous power of healing and resilience and encouragement and insight that surpasses what the body itself is doing or the emotions uh, or the mind. And quite often, when you are a cancer patient or a family member of a cancer patient, the body goes into treatment in the standard medical uh, system. And no one in the medical system is addressing your emotions or your fears in the mind, uh, your confusion. And no one is talking about spirit. Very few people talk about spirit. So I believe that when we take care of the body, address the emotions, all of them, understand why we have anxiety or depression or any uh, fear of the cancer. And instead, we, we go to the spirit and believe without a doubt that we are resilient, that God is there, that healing can take place, that there can be transformation. Mm. That is what saves people's lives. And in fact, that has been documented in the studies done by Carl Symington from the Cancer Research and, uh, Institute in Fort Worth, Texas, that stage four cancer patients who were the most independent, who were self-driven, who were fighting the hardest with every part of themselves, had a longer and higher quality of life than any of the others who did not have that. Yeah, it's not something that we just talk about, but it's something that has been evidenced by science too. What we believe in can change everything. I think quantum physics and also you have the, the law of attraction, so many other 
modalities out there or concepts that explore that idea. During my husband's um, two-year period of treatment with with prostate cancer, we got to a point of reading stories about survivors from all different kinds of uh, plane crashes, internments during World War II, people that were on a boat surviving for, you know, a month without any food and basically very little water. The people who survived in the boats, in the plane crashes, um, in the wilderness, those people who had the strongest spirit Mm. and they would not give up where the other people in the party who did not have that died. How would you describe that, Judith, having a strong spirit? What would that look like from a human perspective, you know, in this realm? The spirit is that part of yourself which cannot be extinguished. Even when we die, it persists. It is part of us that is most like God. It is sort of like having a magnetic, magical backbone that resists all all uh, attempts to break it. With this understanding or this realization that we never die, really, how did that change for you with your husband when you, he was going through the treatments and the whole journey with prostate cancer? Did that give you that sense of, let's say, inner peace? No, um, actually, I was scared to death. Um, We got a call from his urologist on a Friday night that said, I'm sorry, I have bad news to tell you. And we weren't going to be able to see him until the following Tuesday. So we had to go through that weekend. And I didn't know anything about prostate cancer, and I was frightened to death that he might die the next day. We went to a USC football game, and I hid my face from my husband, and I cried silently, thinking, is this the last football game we're ever going to be able to go to? So I was frightened of him dying, Although I do firmly believe that the spirit doesn't die and that we are eventually reunited with loved ones, but I didn't want him to leave the physical plane. I'll be asking you more questions about your book, which is titled Our Journey with Prostate Cancer, Empowering Strategies for Patients and Families. What is healing to you and how is healing different from cure? Healing is... It's about, I think, getting rid of pain and anguish, confusion, resentment. It's coming to a a state of peacefulness. And so that can happen even, I was an oncology social worker uh, in 1976 to 1978, and I was on the bed dealing with people who were actually dying while I was there. And 
I was fortunate enough to usher them between the two worlds where they started seeing loved ones that were going mm-hmm. to guide them yeah. onto the next stage of life. So healing is getting rid of, I would say, impurities and toxins. And that can happen even though the body is degenerating mm-hmm. and the person is getting ready to leave the physical body. Right. Cure relates to the physical body going back to its um, health state. Only physical, right, Judith? Would you say that? Um, well, cure is kind of curing ing is probably better than cured with Mm -hmm. an ed it's just like a person is recovering or in recovery they're not recovered in the 12-step program so cure curing we don't know when we have cancer if there's going to be a recurrence You know, they have measures of two years, five years, 10 years, and then you're out of remission and into a cured state. But it's it's sort of a fluid term. Talk to me about the inspiration and the intention of writing your book, Our Journey with Prostate Cancer. I was hoping when my husband was going to dealing with cancer in 2011, uh, yeah, 2011, that it would be different than my experience as an oncology social worker in 1976 to 1978. I was crushed to find out that nothing had changed in terms of the approach of only dealing with the body. There was no a holistic approach being offered. There were no referrals to therapy. No one asked, how are you feeling? No one asked, what are you eating? No one talked about the importance of exercise. It was just, we're a medical establishment. We're going to deal with just the body. And so I was driven as the wife of a cancer patient and a former oncology social worker to show that there are other parts of the patient, mind, emotion, and spirit, and that the family members are also a four-part person, body, mind, emotion, and spirit, and they weren't going to get any help from the medical system. So I took it upon myself to share my experience of emotion, mind, and spirit, and to document what my husband was going through, to say to people around the world, you must treat the four-part person. If you want the highest chance of recovery, you have to treat it. And if you can't get it through the medical system, you have to find ways to address those other parts. And so that's what I do. At the end of every chapter, I give notes for the patient, but also for the family in terms of diet, exercise, spirituality, support group, research, being assertive uh, with the medical system. That's why I wrote the book. 
this book will be helpful for, I mean, it's helpful for everyone. Well, when the, when the book was sent to reviewers uh, over and over, they said, this is not just a book for uh, prostate cancer. It applies to any type of cancer right. and for family members of any type of cancer. And it offers a unique approach to dealing with cancer. The cover can be also used as a guided meditation? Yes. Um, the book itself has what they call a French, a French flap that when you open it, you see the guided meditation directly across from the cover. And so I suggest that uh, patients and family members take the book to the, to the doctor's office or when they're hospitalized or when they're going for chemo or radiation because the guided meditation is about learning how to calm body, mind, emotion, and spirit. So every part of the meditation refers to the two trees that are intertwined, the rocks, yeah. the the trees, the sunlight and the sunbeam coming, the, uh, the rainbow coming down, all of those things to uh, bring the patient or the family member to a point of peacefulness, kind of transcending the sterile, scary atmosphere of a hospital room. Yeah, what a wonderful invitation for hospitals to offer this holistic treatment for cancer. Did you contact hospitals? Have you tried to offer them this idea in the book as a um, guide? I have copies of this book at City of Hope in their library where my my husband was a patient. Um, I have given them to every medical personnel that I've bumped into, mm -hmm. I've offered them to hospitals. I've given away, I about every three months, I give eBooks for free on my Amazon uh, page. So that information is available. So I have lots of questions here for you. Let me see, where do I begin? What do we know about cancer these days? What are the latest researches on cancer? Well, some, some of the knowledge is that every person has some cancer cells in their body. And we don't know, they don't know exactly why the few cells become uh, multiplied and start to produce a tumor. But there are theories about that. Um, the new studies um, that document the effect of inflammation in the body, which is um, a reaction to stress, inflammation and stress almost equal the development of all kinds of problems in the body, one of which is cancer, but it heightens the probability of all different types of illnesses. Carl Symington at the Cancer Research Center in Fort Worth in the 80s came up with the theory that six to 18 months prior to the onset of a tumor, a person experienced some kind of a significant loss or trauma, 
which they did not process in a releasing kind of way, but held on to the trauma, which resided in their body, which depressed the immune system and caused the cancer. I do believe, and even myself, when I was in um, October 7th of 2020, I myself was diagnosed with stage one pancreatic cancer. I did a kind of a step back and tried to analyze all the different stressors I had had in the year prior. And I saw that I had an overwhelming number of high, high stressors, all each of which would have registered probably a 10 on the Richter scale. So when we are overloaded by external stressors or emotional stressors, huge disappointments, betrayals, things done to us by people, we are highly susceptible to developing cancers or other life-threatening illnesses. Wow. That makes so much sense, stress being the catalyst. Oh, yeah, you're about to say something. Um, I was going to say that it's not just the stress, but it's the body's response to the stress. Let's Mm. say you have Mm. one major external stressor or one major internal stressor from relationships or whatever. Usually we can get through that, but if you have, let's say, five stressors that hit you in a very short period of time, it depresses the immune immune system, which is designed to seek out and destroy cancer naturally. And... I keep losing my thought on the second part of that. Um, so it's it's about losses. It's about the immune system. And it's also the impact that the fear of a diagnosis has on you. Most people are paralyzed. They're either, we go into a sympathetic nervous system response of fight, flight, or immobilization when we're hit by an extreme stressor. And if a person does not process that pretty rapidly, it further depresses the immune system, it releases stress cortisol, it releases adrenaline, and you stay in this hyper-agitated state for a prolonged period of time which is so why so important that we have a method to take ourselves back to a resting heart rate and to feel calm, which is why it's so important to have psychological, emotional tools to be able to do that or to work with someone who can guide you to that. Because as long as you stay in that hyper-arousal state, you are just bombarding your immune system with stress that will depress it and so the cancer can grow. In your book, you have so many recommendations and strategies for that. Uh, Journaling being one of them. Talk to me about the benefits of journaling, Judith. Aside from breathing, which is deep abdominal breathing, which is the first 911 Mm, best method available, 
the second I would say is journaling. Journaling, the type I'm talking about is where you on a daily basis chronicle what's happening with your body, mind, emotion, and spirit, even dreams, so that you always have someone to talk to. It's like the next best thing to being on the phone with God. So here you're being on the phone with yourself and you're paying attention to every part of yourself. How do you feel right before you go to sleep? How do you feel when you wake up? How is your body feeling? What are your emotions that day? Do you have any message from spirit or do does someone call you unexpected and boost your morale? It's a way of tracking how you're doing from day to day. And it's very important to have that connection with the self. So being self-aware, is that the connection that you speak of, of body, mind, emotions? Yes, and the four-part person, the holistic person. Yeah, that's what yes. we need, right? As not just as coping mechanisms, but prevention too, right, Judith? I, that might prevent. I, uh, when I'm teaching, I give I give, give a diagram that includes steps. And so let's say on the bottom step is the body. Next step up is the mind. Next step up is the emotions. And finally, the top step is the spirit. You must, in taking care of the self, you must start with the basics, which is the body. You have to get it stable. You have to get it nourished, exercised rest, uh, strength building. And then you, once you've got that, the same, the same is true for people in 12-step recovery. They have to get rid of the substance and be in a sober body. The next step you deal with is your mind. What is your mind saying? Is it out of control? Is the cerebral cortex in control or is it the limbic system which activates the fight flight immobilization then the emotions you have to be aware of your emotions and most people don't want and don't know how to deal with their emotions when someone says how are you they say fine they don't even know i have a lot many clients come to therapy and they don't know what emotions are or where they feel them in their body. So learning to deal with that, when you get those three under your belt, then you evolve to a higher level, which is your spirit. Is that possible to start with the spirit and then from there integrate or balance all Absolutely. the other? Absolutely. When I called out to God in 1976 and said, help me or I'm going to kill myself, right. that was that was straight spirit talking. It's coming from that, almost the foundation yes. of everything. Yes, right? it, so it sort it of sense. wrapped me up yeah. and helped me start dealing with what was in my body, what were the emotions that were trapped there, what were the lies I had come to believe about myself and my mind and my self-concept. It's a cleansing in a way that we need, that we all need, that self-understanding. Or I often talk about unconditional self-love too and how important it is. I write about it and you always uh, 
comes back to me as that, um, as the idea of God being unconditional love, the spirit being that too. And this is the practice at the level of the body, of the physical level, to love ourselves unconditionally in a sense of self-care and compassion, kindness. The reality is that until you learn to love yourself on every level, the conscious, the unconscious, all the different hidden parts of yourself from childhood. That's another area that I specialize in in my holistic psychotherapy. Inside every adult, there is an inner child. And most people come from dysfunctional families of origin and they have a lot of childhood wounds. Until you learn to reach in and get to know and love the little inner children, and release them from the trauma of the past, it haunts you and it carries forward to all your relationships. So you have to learn to love yourself before you can fully love other people. So your book, it's beautiful and in so many ways, at so many levels. So at the practical level, and then you integrate with spirituality, which is um, everything should be connected in the first place, but for some reason has been disconnected. I love the part where you talk about the stages of fear and how it affects everyone in a different way. And then you describe how your husband felt and then family members, the questions they ask themselves. Very interesting to read that. Also, something that caught my attention was the question, you interviewed your husband at the end of the book, you have uh, you ask him, what changes have you made in your life because of the cancer? And his answers are so insightful. I, yeah, I'm, uh, I forgot that part of the back of the book. But I would say cancer offers everyone the opportunity to become their very best person, to take yeah. stock of their life yeah. and... My husband transformed from being a kind of a regular guy that was, you know, really good in his profession and and a good husband and whatever, but had never really developed a deep relationship with himself. And he has blossomed into this renaissance kind of guy that uh, found all kinds of creative things that he hadn't done before, became a much softer, broader, flexible, charming, loving, highly developed guy that any woman would want to marry. He's just fantastic. I'm so proud of him. And he had the strong spirit of a warrior. And I talk about you have to have a warrior spirit. He went through his prostatectomy. He went through radiation. He went through a year of Lupron, which is a um, androgen deprivation therapy. Mm. And he did not miss a day of exercise. He never complained. I mean, this guy was totally Mm. inspiring to me. I was so proud of him. And he modified his diet, even though he 
kicked and complained in the beginning. <laughs> Don't push me. It was hard for me. He transformed <laughs> what he was eating. He is just a wonderful model for guys to read about. That's beautiful to know. So that's another thing. This book is for anyone, for any type of cancer, but um, especially for men, right? Because they tend to fight and resist everything. Yes. And men are in our society, in the U.S. and Western countries all over the world, men are pretty uh, unidimensional you know, from childhood, they're raised, don't be a sissy, don't cry, be tough, do this, do that. But it's all like left brain kind of development. They're, nobody wants them to talk about their emotions. They don't know how to talk about their emotions. They don't know how to deal with fear other than try to be as strong as they can, not knowing that you you have to be vulnerable at times, that vulnerability is really the, the biggest sign of strength uh, mm, and that yes. letting go of yeah. the ego. And a lot of things that bind men are what make men die sooner than their wives. Thank you so much again, Judith, for doing this work for the message. So we're almost at the end and I have so many other uh, points here. I love where in your book you mentioned the powerful lessons you learned when you're working on the oh cancer boy. unit as an oncology social worker. Don't get worker. me started. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. You say powerful things like truly live in the moment and celebrate each day as if it were your last do not fear death. Your spirit continues in the next dimension. Among other lessons you have learned, those caught my attention a lot. I, I was very eager, having listened to you and your other podcast, and knowing how intuitive and um, wise you are, I thought to myself, I can't wait till she reads my book and I find <laughs> out which things jumped out at her. So this is fun to hear. You also say something that's practical. I love the, the recipe. You have a favorite oh, juice yeah. uh, recipe there. It's practical. That, the practical level, very important. And then you also mentioned something like you gave this equation, stress equals to cortisol release, inflammation, then comes the depressed immune system and then cancer cell growth, which you talked earlier, but this is like something that reminds us how important it is to process our emotions. That is just so basic. As humans, we are here to experience this, everything, but it's some of us don't learn how to process what comes with the experience of it's being not, human. It's not just some people. We live in a society that is mm -hmm. not about internal awareness. We are told from children that we have to fit in with the group right. by the external. Right. And so we're not given the tools or the education about what those internal parts of ourselves are. And we need that. We need to become a lot more aware of how important it is to trust and to know oneself. 
and to come from the inner world before we try to express whatever it is on the outside. I wanted to, to also emphasize the importance in this book is that you must be assertive when you enter the medical system. You cannot go and just deliver your body and say, okay, do whatever, mm, right. and I'll just go right, along right. with it. Um, mm. I have learned yeah. more even from my own current experience, the importance of finding, well, first of all, starting with research. And that, that was probably the most helpful thing that the urologist told my husband and I when we wouldn't see him for four days. He said, go online and do research about prostate cancer. You must educate yourself so that you are a smart consumer when you enter the medical system. You have to know about your specific type of cancer. You need to be able to seek out the best medical facility. You need to uh, find surgeons that are the best in their field, who have the highest track record of the most patients served and the highest success rate, the same thing with the radiology equipment, et cetera. There will be times when they might recommend a particular thing that you know intuitively is not right for you mm -hmm. and you, you are mm -hmm. not there to make friends with your doctors and the other people in the system I'm not saying that you should be unfriendly, but you need to know what is going to work for you and what is not going to work for you and to be politely assertive about it. Yes, and we need to come from or be in a place of love and space of love in order to do that, to listen to our intuition, right, Judith? <laughs> because if we are in a state of fear, then it's easier to be guided by anyone. I wanted to, can I read like a half page of some? Yes, it's, absolutely. It's under the heading of your best shot at beating cancer. Yes, yes. If you want to beat cancer, you have to be a holistic being. You have to summon the very best of your body, mind, emotions, and spirit. You cannot go quietly, submissively, cautiously, politely into your cancer journey. You must believe in yourself and your body's ability to withstand the treatment and to heal itself. You must understand and honor all of your emotions as they come up. You must be willing to release past hurts that reside at the very deepest level of your psyche and cellular level. You must be totally focused on the day-to-day -day process of fighting for your life for however long it takes. You must enlist all the spiritual support you can muster, God, higher power, prayer groups, prayer warriors, a carefully chosen group of family and friends who will support you in the long days and nights ahead on the darkest days of your cancer journey. You must commit every ounce of your being to this fight and you it must have your single-minded focus. 
you are ultimately responsible for the care of your body, mind, emotions, and spirit. And believe me, it is a lot of work on a daily basis. We are talking about an anti-cancer diet, exercise, your frame of mind as a champion prize fighter or athlete, your spiritual practice, your self-talk, how you deal with your emotions, your ability to rest, live in the moment, ask for help, love yourself at the very deepest level, endure discomfort and the strange environment of doctor's offices, the hospital, the specialty clinic, the machines and monitors and IV pulls and infusions, and find a way to make yourself comfortable, adaptable, resilient. You must form a clear sense of who you are that is unshakable, that you hold on to and take wherever you go. We call that your spirit. You have to dig deep on the dark, frightening, painful days and be able to transcend and see beyond them. We call that faith, belief in that which you cannot yet see. These days will pass and you will see the light at the end of the tunnel. A diagnosis of cancer allows you to have the deepest, most intimate experience of your life, a personal encounter with yourself, stripped down face to face. Here you find what you are made of, who you are at your very rawest, most vulnerable core, the meaning of your life on earth and how you want to leave this world. You can choose to make it a positive, deeply moving, awe-inspiring journey. You just described the uh, warrior that you spoke to earlier and you speak in the book too. Yes. You have to be a warrior. Yes, your own warrior. Yes, right. I love that. Your own warrior, right. Thank you so much, Judith, for the inspiration, for your wisdom, for the knowledge and everything else in between that can be felt. Thank you. It was my honor. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay, I have a website judithandesjardins.com. I have a YouTube channel uh, under Judith and Desjardins where I make educational videos, which I have made of every stage of my pancreatic cancer journey, where I, it's an actual video uh, of being in the medical system or dealing with things at home. And then there's always a post included with that. And my books are available on Amazon. Wonderful. I'll have the link of your website on the podcast profile too. Thank you so much again for your presence and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now, Judith. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Judith Ann Desjardins and her work, please visit judithanndesjardins.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>